The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 5 and reading through till verse 14. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lizzie. Do you keep that open in front of you? Sorry, just try not to light myself on the candle. Well, skiing or not skiing, not being able to see the way ahead is somewhat uncomfortable. Change is somewhat uncomfortable, strange, discomforting. The familiar is rather good. Knowing what you're doing each day may get dull, I suppose, at some points in life, but there is something reassuring, something good about knowing what it is you're doing, what's happening next. I've been reflecting this week over the fact that in, a, in an odd sort of way, though I think quite a profound way, all change, even really good change, let alone very unsettling change, has something in it akin to grief. We're losing something. We're losing something that we're familiar with. We're losing something that we're comfortable with. We're losing something that we know. And we're gaining something that we don't know. Uh, I'm looking ahead to a time when I lose um, something that is incredibly precious to me. Uh, a, a role, a place, a family, uh, where I felt called for 15 years that's home for me and for my family. There's some real grief in that that I haven't really gone near this week, and at some point I will. There's a grief for all of us in the sense of just losing our moorings a little bit, not being sure what the future holds, not being sure quite where we head. Uh, in factual terms, not being sure who the new vicar will be, nor quite when it will happen, nor how it will all happen. There is something of grief simply in saying something is going, something new is coming, and not being sure what that looks like. And I say that not to be dismal or morbid or negative, actually just simply to name what's in the room. That is how it feels. But at the same time, we also recognize, don't we, in our everyday lives, that change is not just a sort of inevitable unpleasantness, but is the only way that life progresses that change is unbelievably important, that change is actually often incredibly exciting, that change can be, if stepped into in the right way, life-giving 
life-affirming, life-bringing. It seems to me that God doesn't use change simply as a means to an end, as if change is simply a sort of fork in the road or a set of um, uh, points on a railway as if change is just the railway tracks to get us to a new destination. It seems to me that in our everyday lives, and we see it in the Scriptures too, that God uses change as a thing in itself, as a way in which he loves to teach us, loves to shape us, loves to open up our hearts, and most of all, a period of life when he loves to ask this question. In the midst of all this change, what is certain? In the middle of, midst of all this change, where are your moorings? In the midst of all this change, what foundation are you standing on? It doesn't really matter what picture, language, or metaphor you use. The question is the same. If something is changing in your life, what stays the same? Where do you go back to? And again, it seems to me that different types of change provoke different types of responses to that, or different points in our life produce different responses. Sometimes, in the midst of change, God is teaching us that actually we did have our moorings in exactly the right place. And what he's going to show us is that that mooring, especially in him, will hold firm. It's that beautiful chorus that we sing, uh, that through the storm, he is our anchor. But there are other times, maybe in my life, uh, I can certainly testify to this more often than not, when change reminds me, shows me, sort of brings me nose to nose with the fact that I've allowed my anchor to be in the wrong place, or at least partially, that I've started to rely on stuff that isn't right, stuff that actually is fleeting, that will pass, and that Jesus wants instead to say, no, 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 right here, fix your eyes on me. I'm the anchor. I'm the foundation. I am the one that never changes Change is part of our everyday faith, our everyday living. And if you and I can't or won't apply our faith thoroughly to how we respond to change, then actually we're not applying our faith to perhaps one of the most important things that will ever shape our lives. We didn't plan this everyday faith sermon series around me going or announcing me going. And actually at the beginning of this week on Monday, I confess I hadn't thought about this sermon until Monday. Um, I looked at this passage that was set for today and I thought, well, actually, do you know what? I think that's exactly where we need to go. You don't need a sermon about me going. What we together need a sermon about is how do we, as we walk with Jesus, address change? How do we deal with that thing that is constant in life? It's one of those old cliches, isn't it? There is nothing more constant than change, nothing more certain than change. You've all been through it. Some of us are going through change, massive change in our own lives to do with jobs or family or health. All of us have been through it at some point in our lives, and we're all now going through it as a church. So how do we engage with it as followers of Jesus, as disciples? And that same lesson that we're going to learn together for all souls is the same pattern we're going to learn or be reminded of for our working lives, our family lives, our community lives. Here's the gift that I think God gives us. It's a really obvious one. It is simply the gift of prayer. The gift of prayer is the the precious gift from your and my heavenly father in the midst of change the gift of prayer is just like change itself never simply a means to an end it's worth remembering isn't it that prayer isn't a set of railway tracks that take us to a thing we want 
or a change of circumstance, something we're trying to achieve, right, I'm going to use prayer to get it. A bit like a spanner that you pick up to fix something, or in my case, usually a hammer you pick up to fix something. It's not just a tool. Prayer isn't just a means to an end. Prayer is the way in which most of all God speaks to us, shapes us, yes, changes us. Prayer is the great gift of all that God gives to you and me of how we'll engage with change. This change, new vicar, that change, whatever's going on in your life. And the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, this prayer that Jesus has clearly taught more than once, we hear it in the Gospel of Luke, written slightly differently, almost certainly Jesus taught it many times as you went around the countryside. And the fact that it's in two different versions makes it very clear this wasn't about Jesus giving a particular set of words. Actually, if he was, you and I would have to pray it in Aramaic, because that's what Jesus spoke. The point about the Lord's Prayer is that it's scaffolding. It's a shape. It's a structure. It's a flow. And the shape of the Lord's Prayer is going to teach us, firstly, that life as a whole, that engaging with change, and that prayer itself is first and foremost all about him before it's all about us. And secondly, that prayer as we come to God himself addresses every part of our everyday faith, every part of our everyday lives. And thirdly, that prayer isn't meant to just be me and God, that most of the time in the Bible, prayer is we and us before it's I and me. So that's where we start. We start with the fact that prayer isn't primarily about me. This then is how you should pray, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Jesus wants to anchor us in who God is and what he does and what his purposes are for this world. Before we ever get on, to talking about ourselves. Now, yeah, there are plenty of times in life when a quick arrow prayer to God, help, is exactly what you need. I need X, or please don't let Y happen. That's absolutely fine. This isn't meant to be a straitjacket. It's not meant to be a formula. We're not talking magic. This is relationship. But in all of our praying, even those momentary arrow prayers, those times of desperation, when, yes, it is all about us, we should be standing in a place that says, even in those times of prayer, it's actually all about him, our Father. It's beautiful, intimate words. Uh, almost certainly the, the word Abba, a sort of daddy word, a word of intimacy, a word of relationship, a word of love. And we come to that heavenly Father whose name is to be respected above all names, hallowed be your name, whose kingdom, that is, his influence, those who serve him, those who obey him. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, that his kingdom might be seen and his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think the essence of it is this, that prayer reminds us that we're not meant in life to be enlisting God to our agenda, but enlisting ourselves in his agenda. That's really hard to pull off. I mean, I've got a, an agenda as long as, you know, several arms right now. You know, in my mind, in my heart, I've got an agenda for God about where my family are going to live, because we don't know at the moment. 
I've got an agenda for how my family are going to feel about all this because it's pretty unsettling. I've got an agenda about how I'm going to be over the next few weeks. I've got an agenda over friendships I don't want to lose. I've got an agenda on how this job's going to feel. I've got an agenda on all the things I'm going to miss about being a vicar. I've got an agenda for you guys. You know, I've, I've, I mean, I could write you lists and lists and lists of my agenda for God. And it's not that that doesn't matter to God. I think that matters passionately to God. But I've got to get it the right way around. Because to be a follower of Jesus in my everyday life is not to somehow try and enlist God onto my agenda, but the fact that I am enlisted onto his agenda. Your name be hallowed. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. It's about you. When John was leading some prayer, just now, when we talked about repentance and he talked about sin, that little thing that I often say about sin being a little word with I in the middle of it, that's really what this is about. Is my life revolving around I, me, and my agenda? Or am I bringing my agenda, which matters to God, in the same way that if you're a parent, your kid's agenda matters to you. But am I enlisted in his? And I, if you don't mind me being quite extreme about it, I'd be an utter idiot to do anything other than that. I mean, genuinely, what an idiot I would be, just for, even for my own sake, even for selfish reasons, what an idiot I would be to think that I, I should be in trying to enlist God, the God of the universe, into my agenda. Because if there is anybody in this world who knows far better than I do what's really good for me and for my family and for all souls, it's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Heavenly Father. Of course, I want to be enlisted in his agenda. I want his will to be done. I want his kingdom to come. I want his name to be honored. Prayer is all about enlisting in God's agenda, being drawn into his purpose, saying to him, your will be done. Not because my will doesn't matter, not because he doesn't care what I'm worried about or what I'm passionate about or what matters to me, but because actually I want to bring all of those things into, under, within his arms of love, his purposes, his will. It's all about him, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But prayer is, yes, about me bringing my agenda to God. It's just it doesn't start there. But as I have put him first, as I've said to him, I do want your name to be lifted up. I do want your kingdom to come. I do want your will to be done. I then am invited to bring to him everything there is in my life. It's beautiful, this little trio that's here. Verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. Verse 11 is about today's needs. Give us today our daily bread. It takes you back, doesn't it, to uh, the Old Testament being stuck in the wilderness and God who could have given them a year's uh, resources all in one go giving them a daily dose of manna from heaven why not because he was being difficult not because he was yanking their chain not because he was trying to you know make them feel silly that they couldn't provide for themselves because he was trying to remind them that even when they could provide for themselves in the land flowing with milk and honey that they were going to that everything in heaven and earth comes from him so as a daily 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 routine they had to go out and collect what he was giving them give me today my daily bread is simply a recognition that all things come from him and that what you need for your family for your house for yourself even when you can provide it for yourself is a gift from god 
which is especially important on those days you can't provide it for yourself. I can't magic the right place to live for my family. In the past, sometimes I could. I can't magic all the knowledge I need to do the new job. In the past, I sort of pretty much felt like I knew what I was doing, probably wrongly. But actually, all the time, I come back to God. Give me today my daily bread. What do I need today? But as well as praying for today's needs, I also pray for yesterday's mistakes. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That word to do with debts can mean sin, can mean debt. Almost certainly Jesus is talking about that sense of indebtedness to one another and to God. I need forgiveness for the past. I need it every day. You and I need to keep coming back to him and asking for that. But I also need help for tomorrow, for tomorrow's challenges. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Almost certainly the word that Jesus is using there that we translate as temptation, almost certainly far better means trial or challenge or difficulty. In which, yes, we are tempted. But it's not that we're saying to God, please don't tempt me. God doesn't tempt anybody. But we are saying to him, I need your help for tomorrow. I don't know what your tomorrow brings. I mean, we always say that on a Sunday, don't we? I often talk about Monday morning. It's that sort of beginning of the working week. If you're working, it's the beginning of a sort of new week. If you're not working, whatever it is, Monday morning is pretty significant. That Monday morning is what we're praying about and lead us not into temptation or, or be with me in the time of trial and deliver me from the evil one because we're in a battle. The enemy hates that you love Jesus. The enemy hates that you're trying to follow him. The enemy absolutely hates that you're aiming to put Jesus first and not yourself. So part of our prayer is simply to say to God, I need your help. Deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me in the time of trial. So we set all the stuff we need. What I need for today, for me, for the people that rely on me. The forgiveness I need for yesterday. And the help I need for tomorrow. We bring all of it to our Heavenly Father. And we bring it knowing that we want to be enlisted in his agenda not just try and enlist him in our agenda. But we don't do it on our own. Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't mean, and I don't think the Bible teaches, that that means prayer is only valid when you're praying in a prayer meeting with somebody else. But what it does mean is that even when you're praying on your own, in your room, on the tube train, walking back from the school gates, sat with a cup of coffee, unable to go to sleep at night, wherever it is you're praying, even when you pray in a solitary place, you are not on your own. You're part of a family. You're part of God's big family stretching around the world and down through time. That's part of why I picked that verse from Hebrews 12, verse 2. Because Hebrews is all about, especially Hebrews 11, that great company of saints that you're part of. It's one of the things I love about um, the, the richness as well as the, the, the melancholy or the, the, the emotion of our Remembrance Sunday services, that we stand or I go and stand over by that um, role of honor of those who used to sit in these pews some hundred years ago and died in the Great War. Because as well as remembering sacrifice, we also remember we're not on our own. 
We're not even on our own just in this age. We stand in a great long line of thousands of years of God's people. And we stand as part of billions of people around the world who are worshipping. When you pray, you don't pray just as you. You pray as part of a big family. And that both means we should be praying for one another. I really covet your prayers for me and for mine these next few weeks. But we also need to be praying for one another as I'm going to be praying for you. But it also means that we should look for ways to pray with one another. I've got two friends that I've prayed with for now 20 years. We trained at Ridley together when we were training to be vicars. We now live in three completely different parts of the country. And we have an absolute commitment to pray for one another, but also to meet. These days, it's only four times a year because we live so far apart. But for 20 years, we have recognized we don't just pray as little individuals. We pray with one another, for one another. Who are you praying with? It might just be one other person. It might be a little prayer triplet. It might be with a family. Prayer isn't an I only. It's not just a solitary event. Though sometimes, as Jesus says, there is an importance of solitary prayer. But even so, we do it as part of a big family, and sometimes we need to do it together, as well as for one another. It's a beautiful gift. Genuinely and truly, as I look back on, um, in a couple of weeks' time, it will be 50 years of living, and an awful lot of those years being consciously aware of God as my Heavenly Father. The greatest gift that we're ever given in life is the gift of prayer. And in the midst of change, in the midst of all that might unsettle us, no, will unsettle us, it's the most powerful gift you can possibly imagine. It's a gift that reminds us that it's not about me enlisting God to my agenda, but me being enlisted to his agenda. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a gift that enables me to bring the whole of my life to him. My needs for today, my forgiveness for yesterday, my help needed for the challenges of tomorrow. And it's the gift that reminds me that even in my most solitary of moments, I'm not on my own. I belong to this big family. And we get to pray together, our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that whoever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever our Monday morning looks like, that gift of prayer isn't just a means to an end, somehow a a way of getting things done, but that your gift of prayer connects us with you, sets our hearts on you, reminds us who you are and what you've done for us. So we do pray for one another in this time of change, that we will fix our eyes on you, that we will know your love for us and that you will enlist us in your agenda. And as we bring our everyday needs, our past mistakes and our future challenges to you, we would do so knowing that we are loved beyond measure, even beyond reason. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Thank you that we're yours. Teach us to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to worship.
and over the next few minutes at some point the children will